so blessed. People that love the Lord and um, around here and aren't afraid to show it to one another, and I'm grateful to all of you for that. Uh, got, I'm such a sap anyway. I got to crying I, as I was uh, looking at our missionaries, Terry and Samantha and Stephen, uh, willing to be there and serve the Lord in Belize. And part of me thought, like I heard uh, Travis say one day, he says, "You know, Terry's my brother, and I'm so proud of him I could bust." And on, you know, and, and I think we all feel that way. Just because they're saying yes. And God wants all of us to say yes, whatever that is that He wants us to do. But I just said, Lord, we're just so blessed that they're willing to say yes to you down there. And uh, just bless my socks off, as we said, where I grew up, to be a part of this church family. Thank you. This morning, uh, guys, I want to talk about revival and relationships. We are a God who is serious about relationships. God loves people. And He wants people to love each other. And I titled this Revival and Relationships. And I believe that when this spirit that I'm going to talk about today begins to invade and pervade God's people, revival breaks out. And we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 18. As we'll be flying through the chapter in parts. As we look at what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. And uh, So turn me to Matthew 18. I actually think I want to read uh, for our reading. We'll start at verse 23 and go through the end of the chapter. Some will ask when you find that to stand in God's honor. As I read aloud. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wants to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray. Master, I thank you that we can come here again and worship you. And Father, I have experienced you today to be able to see my brothers and sister, Lord, in Belize and worship you. Thank you for the technology to make that happen. Bless them, O God. And each of us, God, in our own way, we are missionaries. 
We are called to impact where we are. And I just pray, Lord, that you get a hold of us. And God, uh, I just pray you speak through this message in a way that we'd have to say, Jesus arrived. He came. He, he spoke. Not me, God. I'm not much, but I'm yours. And I just ask that you would be glorified in the time we have. Uh, Lord, just speak. Holy Spirit, fill me. And I pray that by Your Spirit, uh, Your grace and love and mercy might spill through me. And Lord, we might respond. In Your name we pray. Amen. Now guys, let's start out here in Matthew 18. It says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I mean, let's face it. All of us want to make a difference. We want to know that we matter to other people, that we are making a contribution that touches lives. I don't know anybody that says, well, you know what I really want to be is a worthless nobody that just drains the life out of everybody I'm around. Nobody thinks like that. We all think... I want other people to like me, to love me, and I want, I want to make a difference. And so the disciples, as they gather around Jesus, they say to Him, well, what is, how, do you, how do you be great in the kingdom of God? And who is the greatest? And what happens is, Jesus, He turns the tables and He talks about relationships, guys. He brings before them a little child. And he says, whoever wants to be great must come like this little child. Now, what is it about kids? As, as I thought about this, guys, uh, kids are simple, kids are trusting, and kids are honest. I heard a story of a first grader who was really upset near the end of school and he went into the principal's office. He was desperate. And he said, I need to, I need to use the phone. And the principal said, why? And he said, well, my mama told me, said, now if you lose your coat, don't you come home. And so I need to call her and ask her where I'm supposed to go. Now, as I thought of that story, there were a couple things that struck me. Number one, instead of focusing on the fact that his mama might be mad at him, he didn't. He actually, he actually just won't know where am I supposed to go. Why? Because he took it for granted that his mama loved him, that his mama cared about him. And you know, that's how we're supposed to look at God. We have a heavenly Father who loves us so much that He would rather die for us than live without us. Who would send His one and only Son to the cross. Who would die on our behalf. And guys, we need to live with that understanding that we are loved, that God cares about us, that God is... He, he loves us. He's, he wants to see us succeed. He doesn't want to see us fail and be miserable. That's not our God. Second thing as I think of that story is that he also um, wanted to obey his mom. He wanted to find out where he was supposed to go. 
And we don't have it together, although we pretend to. And we're called to walk by faith, which means God wants us to learn to trust Him and to follow His lead. So did this little boy. And the third thing I noticed from that story is he wanted to get it right, so he wanted to call his mama. And we get it wrong unless we stay in communion with our Heavenly Father, our Divine Daddy. Jesus says that is how we're supposed to approach God. We're supposed to be honest. We're supposed to understand He loves us. He has our best interests at heart. He wants to work in our lives. Secondly, guys, not only be honest and understand He loves you, He wants you to trust Him, to, to follow His lead. And third, He wants you to stay close to Him, to get directions in, in knowing where to go, to get it right. But then He goes on in the text. Look at verse 5. He says, And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Now that's serious. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Man. Some serious words our Lord utters. And and what is He saying? I think it's interesting here. He's talking about come as a little child. But as he's looking, he's speaking directly to his disciples, his followers. And who does God say his followers are? Well, John chapter 1 verse 12, he says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So at the moment you bow your heart to Jesus Christ and confess before him, God, you are a great... you." had died for me. I am a sinner. I will receive your gift of eternal life. The work you finished at Calvary into my own life. The Bible says at that moment, you become a kingdom kid. You become His child. And He's talking about children here. And as He talks about this Scripture, guys, He says it is a terrible thing to lead a kid astray. It is a terrible thing to lead him away from Jesus instead of to Jesus, to Himself as he's talking about himself. And so, he's making a big deal here about relationships being right and how important it is among the body of Christ to live for Jesus. To follow Jesus. And like this little first grader, to be trusting, to be honest, to know He loves you. And to not allow a rift to develop in your relation. Ships. It made me think, guys, of... Uh, let me read on first verse 10. He says, See that you do not look down on one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Now, here we go. I want to move from, as one old country preacher said, from preaching to meddling. Guys, God is very serious about our relationships with one another. being divided, being broken. He doesn't want us to be bitter toward one another. 
for revival to break loose amongst God's people. We're to love one another. We're to forgive one another. We're to allow His Spirit, guys, to flow and to move. And it made me think, turn with me to Hebrews twelve fifteen. Um, I always think of this verse when I, when I think about um, people being upset with one another. It says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Now, here's what happens. We're all God's kids, those of us who have trusted Jesus as Savior, as Lord, and follow Him. And we're called to look for the grace of God. See to it, no one misses the grace of God. Your job, my job, is to always look for the grace of God at work. How is God working in you and you and you and you and in me and in one another and, and to see His grace at, at all levels and in all ways and all facets, guys. And, and so He says here, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. Don't miss His grace. This is a clear command. Now what happens when we miss His grace? See to it that no one misses the grace of God so that no bitter root can grow up and cause trouble and defile many. Now what happens, guys? On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, right? And so Jesus Christ is a solid rock, a foundation that cannot be broken. But when we miss the grace of God, there becomes a soft place in that rock of our faith. And a bitter root can grow in there, an offense or a hurt can grow in that solid rock of faith that's based upon Jesus Christ. And, and, and it can grow, and it begins to take root, and then it begins to grow out of our lives in the way that we see one another. And trouble springs up among the people of God. And then people are not looking at the grace of God in one another, but they're looking at one another's faults. And they become critical and they become negative and, and they begin to become inward instead of the love of God flowing outward through the body of Christ. And relationships are hurt. And revival is not there, but the people of God become stagnant and miss His grace. That's not God's heart, guys. Now, let's go on in Matthew 18. He shares uh, verse 12. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he's happier about the one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Now, they're talking about leading God's kids being led astray. What happens when you're offended? What happens when you're hurt? Do, do you let that bitter root grow in you to cause trouble? And not only does it cause trouble in you, defile many, it means it spreads. You begin talking bad about this person or, or you begin letting bad stuff uh, be spread about that person. And it infects the whole body of Christ. And Jesus comes back and He says, Listen, God cares about that person. Man, there might be a hundred sheep, but when the one goes away, the heart of the shepherd is on that sheep that wandered off. 
And so he says, I'm going to leave just to find this sheep because I want the sheep to go back and be part of the flock. It is important to God for God's people to be together, to be intertwined, to be interconnected, to be in right relationship with one another. That is critical to our Heavenly Father. Guys, that's what He is about. That's that... And then he goes on in the next section, which we talk about in dealing with church discipline a lot. And he talks about what happens when one's offended, when one's hurt. And he says, you go directly to that person. You don't talk to everybody else about them. And you try to, you, you try to talk to that person one-on-one. And you want there to be reconciliation and bringing together two parties that don't speak, that are hurt, that are broken. And if that doesn't work, still causing trouble, you come back with some witnesses so there's not a bunch of gossip spread around. And you talk to those couple of witnesses. But if there's still pain being caused and hurting the name of Christ and His reputation, says then you come before the church. And if things still can't be worked out, then the person who's the offender needs some time away from the body of Christ. The whole point of that is not the discipline. The whole point of that is that the people matter to God and He wants them restored. He wants them brought back together in the body of Christ. He doesn't want grudges to continue. Um, Listen to this quote on grudges from Lewis B. Smeads. Carrying a grudge is a loser's game. It's the ultimate frustration because it leaves you with more pain than you had in the first place. Recall the pain of being wronged, the hurt of being stung, cheated, demeaned. Doesn't the memory of it fuel the fire of fury again? Do you feel that hurt each time your memory lights on the people who did you wrong? Your own memory becomes a videotape within your soul that plays unending reruns of your old rendezvous with pain. Is this fair to yourself, this wretched justice of not forgiving? The only way to heal the pain that will not heal itself is to forgive the person who hurt you. Forgiving heals your memory as you change your memory's vision. When you release the wrongdoer from the wrong, you cut a malignant tumor out of your inner life. You set a prisoner free yourself. Peter speaks, guys. Uh, he, he hears Jesus talk about all this. Verse 21, he's, Peter came to Jesus and asked, How many times, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? You see, the Jewish teaching of that day was three times. You know, you gave them three chances. One, two, three, you strike out. I didn't know they played baseball back then, but it kind of fit. One, two, three, you're out. Well, Peter thought seven's generous. That's over twice the required. Jesus comes back and he says 490. Peter must be thinking, what? And can you imagine? Man, I don't like that guy. That's 490, 489, 488, 487. Hurry, 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 keep offending me. You know, until I get this thing straight and get some revenge. Jesus wasn't trying to, to fix in really on that number, 490. But what he was trying to say is, Guys, my forgiveness, my grace should be a constant, continual part of your life and the way you treat one another. That was really what our Lord was getting at. And so He tells this parable. That was the reading that we had. And um, as we get in that, He talks about um, in verse 24, it says, um, As He began the settlement, a man who owed Him 10,000 talents was brought to Him. Guys, I was looking at what some uh, commentators, scholars said about this 10,000 talents, what it would be equivalent to today. Said if it was silver talents, 
it would be equivalent to $16 million. If gold talents, it would be $320 million. What a debt. Now, the $320 million is staggering, but what do I care? I don't have $16 million. So, I mean, both are way beyond what I can pay back. And so, he comes, as we read on here, this is the debt he has, either $16 million or $320 million. <laughs> Verse 25, no kidding, since he was not able to pay, it says, no kidding. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Wow. Uh, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Got the picture? $16 million, $320 million debt, I don't know it. And he goes, man, I can't pay that. So he's crying, he's broken, he's crushed, he falls on his knees. He says, have pity on me, have pity on me. There's no way I can pay this back. You know what, guys? That's what the cross is about. There is no way you and I can pay for our sin. You know, in the modern hymnals, they've taken out that phrase, for such a lowly worm as I. Man, we need that thing in there. But as Isaac Newton said, if I'm going to be a worm, I want to be a glow worm. And glow with the grace of God. But he fell on his knees and he said, Have mercy on me! And what happened? Verse 27, The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. That's called Calvary. The cross. That's why we're here, guys. Hope. I love it, man. Verse 28, But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Now, interestingly enough, you know how much that was worth? A hundred bucks. So now here's a guy who had been forgiven either 16 billion or 320 million bucks, and he's going nuts over a hundred bucks owed to him. And he's ready to take this guy out, look at him. He grabbed him, he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And, and look, this guy does just what he had done earlier. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But look at his response. But he refused. Instead, he went off, had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Here's a guy who was, forgi- who was forgiven what he could not possibly pay back. And then he looked at a debt that could be paid back and he refused to let it go. He missed the grace of God. And he let a bit of root grow up, cause trouble, and defile many. And that's what God wants to stop among His people. That's what He wants to stop. You know, I just like to imagine in my mind what happened after he was forgiven that debt. I imagine he went from having this look on his face like a chariot ran over his dog. You know, the gloom and doom look. Like you're carrying this huge burden to just, man, he could, you know, jump over a coliseum, you know, in one bare leap. Because he was so 
full of God's grace and understanding that He's forgiven. That this great debt He couldn't pay, it's, it's been forgiven totally. He's free. And so, you know, he was happy. You know the old song, if you're happy and you know it, you know, your face will surely show it. Well, I believe his face showed it. I believe he was the top there for a while. Man, he's changed. Look at this guy. He's a joy to be around. He used to not be. He used to be worried all the time, but he's not. And, and it's like, what happened? But then the change came. The smile left. The joy faded. And there was a bitterness. I want you to notice something interesting here, guys, in, in this story. Uh, it says, uh, verse 31, When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. You know, his bitterness toward this person did not stay a secret. The fact that he forgot the grace of God in his own life did not stay a secret. But the other servants, in our case, the other people of God, saw what was going on and ran to the Master with the news. Wow. And... Guys, how troubling it is as we look at the response. Um, look in verse 32. Uh, the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Now, just three quick points here. Uh, first, which I've already alluded to, there was no way that guy was going to pay back that debt. It was more than he could pay back. Guys, the way to heaven, the way to a right relationship with God, it's more than you or I could possibly pay back. That's what the gospel is all about. That's why it's called good news. Because the ones who could not pay it back were shown mercy. Because the one, only one who could pay it back chose to. You see. That's point one. Point two, he says, because I forgave you, you should have mercy. On your fellow servant. Guys, um, when we become bitter, we forget who we are. When we're not willing to forgive, we forget that we have been forgiven. And that does not mark the child of God. That is not a kingdom kid. That blocks the power of God from flowing throughout His people, and it makes you and I miserable. And God doesn't want that. That's not His heart. Third, scary stuff here. Look at verse 34. In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. We've already determined he can't pay it back. 
So his life will be one of torture. Now, how do we take this? Uh, Well, you could say, you know, your whole life, if you're going to be bitter and not forgive, you're going to live a tortured life. Because you're constantly filled with a rage towards someone and it takes the very life out of you. That's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is you didn't really understand the grace of God. You didn't really receive His forgiveness or you would forgive, so you don't really know Him. Either way, there's stuff that needs to be dealt with. God says to forgive. needs to be dealt with, guys. And I guess the question is, you know, are you bitter towards someone? Why are you bitter? Maybe it's uh, someone hurt you... Maybe someone hurt your spouse. You know, I was thinking this morning about spouses, how sometimes I don't get along. and pictured in my mind a, a husband and wife arguing, and the wife saying, I am so sick of the way you live. You act like we live in a cave. You don't clean up after yourself. You're nasty. And he just looked at her and said, Well, I thought you'd be comfortable here since you're such an old bat. But you know, I thought about the way we fight and the way we tear one another up and then we get hurt. And people a lot of times don't see it. So it could be a spouse. It could be a parent. Maybe someone's hurt your parent or your parents hurt you. But there's bitterness there. Maybe someone hurt your kid. And that hurts you. Or maybe your kids hurt you. But I mean, I could go on. Someone at work, you know, I'm not really into who it is. It's the fact there is someone there. And you're holding on to it. Um, Look at verse 35, guys. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Wow. Wow. This is the summary of it. Are you willing to forgive? Do you really know the forgiveness of God? Now, I want to go on trying to explain. I'm just reading what God had to say. If you get mad at somebody, get mad at Him, not me. But are you willing to forgive? Guys, we need revival. I need revival. I get tired of the chains I put on myself. God says, I want to unshackle you, Todd. And I want to unshackle all my kids. Do you need to be unshackled? Uh, let me close with this story and we're done. Um, oh, well, I'm always already over. Thanks for your grace. Um, my mom uh, was a character. Royale. And... Her sister might have even been a bigger character, Aunt Pearl. We used to joke and say, um, Aunt Pearl went through three heart surgeries where they said she couldn't survive, and she survived the three heart surgeries. So our running joke was she was too mean to die. And uh, man, whew. And she would get off, she'd get mad, and she'd start screaming, and, and I would just start laughing at her, and then she'd start laughing, and then we'd hug. But uh, she's a character. I remember, uh, let me tell you a little bit of background about her. Uh, she had a trouble with addiction to alcohol, and it really hurt her relationships. Um, 
she ended up moving to Pennsylvania and leaving her two children with her dad and severed that relationship. And there was some bad feelings, of course. And uh, But Mom and Aunt Pearl were really close. Enjoyed some of the most laughter I've ever heard in my life, laughing, having fun. Um, but uh, I lost touch with Aunt Pearl. And we went years ago when we were down in Florida. Um, she lives in Jacksonville. Uh, Cindy's folks live in Orange Park, not that far from Jacksonville. And we were actually near the beach, and my grandmother's house was uh, near the Jacksonville beach. And so I told Cindy and the kids, I said, you know, I wonder if Aunt Pearl's around. I wonder if I can find Grandma's old house. It's been a while, right? So um, we looked around. I missed it a couple of times, but I, I saw a house. So I think that's it. So we pulled in the driveway, and I knocked on the door. Doesn't happen. I knocked on the door loud again. Nothing happened. I turned around and get ready to walk away, and I heard this, Who is it? And uh, I said, Is this where Pearl Gorgiano lives? And she said, What is it to you? And I said, Is that you, Aunt Pearl? She said, Who is this? I said, I said, This is your nephew, Todd. You open that door, Aunt Pearl, right now. And she did. And got to talk to her for a few minutes. Um, she'd been sick, trying to take care of herself. I don't know how in the world she was doing it. Uh, got to share a little bit of time with her. Found out later on uh, that her daughter finally went and picked her up. Moved her back to, I think Alabama is where she lives. Moved her back to Alabama. They put a mobile home in her yard behind her house. And uh, Aunt Pearl gave her heart to Christ. And uh, there was some healing. And so for three months, it was different. Three months, it was different. Um, what about you? Is there something you want to be different? Is there a relationship that uh, God wants to heal? Guys, it's for you, but selfishly, it's for me because we're connected. And to enjoy the fullness of God's blessings, we all need to get it right. And so this is a time we call invitation. Uh, and I just reach out to you. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? Um, this is what it's about. Follow Jesus. Forgive. Be a kingdom kid. It's hard, but it's the only way. Um, so I'm going to have a prayer. We'll have what we call response time. Uh, I'll be at the front. Come. If God's got a hold of your heart, come pray. We need prayer. Uh, come. If you need to do business before God, I'd love to pray with you. You can share with everybody. This is what God's doing in my life. Uh, I don't know where you are, but guess what? God does. So that's all that matters. So let's just allow Him to work. That's my heart, guys. Let's allow Him to work. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank You for some time, Lord to talk about revival and relationships, talk about forgiveness, Lord. God, you know us. And so I pray, O oh God, that you might work in us, Lord. 
here we are. Father, I pray in this chance you've given us to respond that we'd come pray and that we'd come and get things right. And Lord, that if necessary, instead of coming down the aisle, maybe we need to go across the aisle. But either way, Lord, I just ask that your grace would not be missed. Have your way, O Master. In your name we pray. Amen.